Good evening, everyone. In our Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 42, please. Our starting place tonight will be Genesis chapter 42. How was your Monday? Did you have a good day today? Mondays get a bad rap. A lot of bad, sad songs about Monday have been written. God gave us a beautiful day today. The weather was beautiful. Our time together was precious, and I hope whatever you did today, whether it was work or school or a long list of errands, whatever you found yourself doing, I hope you had a wonderful day, and that God took care of you and you were blessed. Uh, many of you, we got to see one another in the morning, and then we're seeing each other now. We're just a lot. We're together all the time this week, and you're going to get really tired of that really quick. In fact, there, there's a story of a preacher in a gospel meeting, and he was sitting next to a little boy, and he leaned over and he says, have you been good this week? And he looked up at him and he says, Preacher, I've been in church so much this week, I haven't had time to do anything bad. I kind of like that. We, we are together. But you know, it's good we're together. We're better people when we're together. And it's a small taste of the day when we're always going to be together. And what a beautiful day that will be. So thank you to those who were here this morning. And, and I'm going to say it now, and, and I hope you understand it with all sincerity. It's a great deal of sacrifice for many of you to be here tonight. Uh, many of you have had long days. Some of you may have come straight from work to make it across this busy heavy traffic area in Phoenix. Uh, some of you might have just come straight from school. I, I realize the sacrifice and I'm thankful for it. I know how much it means and I know your shepherds realize it too. So thank you for being here. And I, I hope the things we're gonna look at tonight will be helpful and be worth the time we're spending here together. There's an old quote that says, nothing is easier than saying words. Nothing is harder than living them day by day. And I think that the most hardest thing that God perhaps asks of us as his people to do is to forgive those who wound us and those who hurt us. Now, C.S. Lewis famously said, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. And I think those of us who have walked that path realize how true that is. Where we left Joseph, our young man that we are considering this week, where we left him yesterday in our study is that he was a slave in Potiphar's house, Potiphar the the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguard, and things were going really well until Potiphar's wife made several advances towards Joseph, literally throwing herself at him. And he, in immense faith and dedication to God, resisted the temptation every time. And he was rewarded for such faith by being slandered and being falsely accused and cast into prison where he would sit for several years. In fact, it wasn't until Pharaoh had some God-given dreams about cows devouring cows and sheaves devouring sheaves that the cupbearer, who Joseph had, through the power of God, interpreted his dreams, remembered that there's someone who could help in this situation. And so Pharaoh calls for Joseph to exit the prison and to come and to, through the power of God to reveal the message of these dreams. And God was showing Pharaoh what he was planning to do across the world that there was going to be a period of great abundance followed by a period of scarcity, of a famine. And so Joseph, through the wisdom of God, says, here's what you need to do. You need to be wise and you need to save during the good time because it's going to be followed up where there's not going to be any left. And so Pharaoh's response was not just to release Joseph from prison, but to elevate him to the equivalent of second in command in Egypt. So get this, in a moment, literally in a moment, Joseph goes from being a prisoner in Egypt to second in command to the most powerful nation in the world. So now he has a job, a really good job, and he has wealth, and he has power. It's during this season that he gets married, and he has two boys, and life 
is turning around for Joseph. And just as he prophesied, there were seven really good years. And Joseph, through his wisdom, helps Egypt to store up more than it ever had before because just as God prophesied through that amazing dream, the seven bad years began to come. But Joseph, because of his wisdom, was blessed. And Egypt was blessed. Things were going well, but again, remember, when things are going well, there's always that but in the story. And in they came through that door those 10 scraggly, starving older brothers. In fact, in Genesis 42, I like the way the Spirit revealed what's going on here. When it says in verse 6 that Joseph was ruler over the land, he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Remember the dream? Well, here it is. It's taking place. Verse 7, when Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. He said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. I'm telling you, and it may be hard to remember this, but when you read this story for the first time and you get to this point in the, star, in the story, you think, it's going to get good. I mean, we could not event a more perfect revenge story than this. I mean, last time it was 10 versus one and it's 10 men versus a 17 year old boy, but now he is second in command to the most powerful nation in the world. You just cannot wait to read what he's gonna do. I mean, with the flick of a switch, their heads are gone off their bodies. Or maybe he's gonna command for 10 ditches to be built or to be dug and then push them in their own pits and say, how do you like it? How's that feel? So we're waiting, what is he gonna do? now that he has the power to get back at these brothers. And so slowly Joseph performs these tests to see have they changed at all? And all these years that have passed by, are they still those 10 despicable wicked men? He's especially concerned about Benjamin. And there's a test involving bringing Benjamin back because remember the reason Joseph was mistreated was he was the favorite son, the son of Rachel, the favorite wife. Well, here's Benjamin left at home who is a son of Rachel, and he's wondering, are you all mistreating him too? Is it still going on? And so he tests them, and he hears something different. He's hearing regret out of the voice of these ten for how they treated Joseph, and they're hearing kindness and concern and protection for Benjamin. But you're still wondering, as this all is unfolding, before Genesis 25, if you'll go there, Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis 45, Genesis 45, and you're thinking, surely Joseph is thinking, that's too little, too late. I know what you've done. My life was ruined because of you. And we're waiting to see what he is going to do. How will he enact this revenge on these boys? And it says in Genesis 45 and verse 1, Then Joseph could not control himself before those who all stood, be, stood before him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I and your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing or harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. I don't know about you, but if you were to put a subtext to define what these verses really are all about, don't you see words like grace, marvelous, incredible, unbelievable grace and forgiveness? The greatest battle, perhaps, that Joseph faced during his years in Egypt, he has now overcome, and that was the battle of bitterness. And whatever sprung in his heart upon first seeing his brothers has now melted away, and all that was in his place was mercy and love. You and I don't get to control what people do to us. We can't control how people will treat us, what they will say, and how they will act. The only thing you and I get to control is how we will respond in the moment. We can get even. You treat me this way, I'm going to treat you and respond. We could do nothing. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen and just kind of move on, although that just continues to grow and fester like a, a seething, boiling hate. Or like Joseph, we can respond with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. But I want us to start here. You and I know as the children of God, it's not that we should forgive those who have wounded us in our life. We know that we must forgive those who have wounded us. And I want to start there with why. Why must we forgive? even when responded to and it prompted to by a harm. And the first reason of which is simply because God commands it. There's no question the reason we as God's people forgive is because God commands it. And so in Matthew 25 or 23 and 24 in the mountain message, Jesus says, if therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. He was saying here, you are at a place of worship and you remember that someone has something against you. That is, you've offended someone. You have hurt someone. What's the answer? Right there on the spot, you leave and you go and you make it right. A companion passage to this is in Mark 11 and 25 when Jesus says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. Here it's the opposite. I'm the person who has been offended. Someone has hurt me. And while I am there and I am praying and I remember in that prayer something someone has done, what is my response? I forgive. Brethren, can you see if we apply these two passages, that if I've offended someone or I have been offended, what you will find are constant intersections of forgiveness. I'm coming to seek forgiveness or I'm coming to grant and give forgiveness. But all you see through Jesus' forgiveness is you're going to walk that path of grace and forgiveness. I wonder if sometimes when you go to that model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the reason we don't pray it is because of that small little verse in verse 12. There's a crippling word there, a crippling two-letter word. Forgive us our debts as. As we have forgiven our debtors. Lord, I want you to forgive me. 
the way I have forgiven others. I want your grace and your mercy to imitate my own. Jesus made it clear in the parable in Matthew 18, following that parable of the servant who owed the king that great amount and the king forgave it. And then there was another servant who owed him a far lesser amount that he was not even willing to forgive. The conclusion was, my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. And James would say, if we want mercy at the very end, if we want mercy before the throne of God, we've got to be a people here and now who give mercy. And so one of the reasons we forgive is because God over and over and over commands it. The other reason we forgive is because we are a people who have been forgiven. Forgiven people forgive others. We have received that marvelous grace of God. In that story, that Matthew 18 story, we are that servant who owed the king an incredible amount that you and I could never repay, but the father forgave it. The king released it. What's our response? Walk with grace. Forgive others. And in so doing, when we forgive those in our lives around us, we are simply imitating the character and the heart of God, who, as a psalmist would say, is abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. That is our God. That's who He is. He is a gracious, forgiving, merciful God. I saw this a couple years ago from uh, Mr. Rogers. He says, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. That when we look for what's best in the person we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does all the time. So in a loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. And I love that. The point he's making is there's some things that when we do it, we're acting like God when we do it. That's what God does. And there may not be anything you and I will ever do that would make us more like Jesus than when we choose to forgive those who have wounded us. That's Ephesians 4.32. Just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now I think we get this. I think all of this, we all would say, that's right, that's true. There may not be anything easier than saying words, but there may not be anything more difficult than living these out day by day. Forgiveness is really easy to understand. It's very simple to preach. It is very difficult to live. I think if we were honest far too often, we, we know this to be true, and we know that this is right. In fact, we know that God wants us to do this, but we have allowed the pain of what has happened in the past to control and dictate our present and how we live. We've hung on to things far too long and allowed it to plague and to dictate our daily lives. One author made it, he described it this way. He says, when you carry resentment inside, it tears away at you. You become sick. You become a victim all over again. It can keep you from sleeping, eating, and thinking straight. It can keep you from going forward. I love that at the end he said, one day, we won't resent anymore. That's a powerful thought. One day, it's not going to matter. But today, it seems to matter a lot. And for a lot of people, that just kind of describes our present. Something happened a long time ago, something someone said or how they acted, and I've carried it all this time and all along the way, and I'm not eating right, I'm not sleeping right. It, it constantly is in the forefront of my mind. Whatever happened in the past is destroying our present. And God's call for his people is not to carry that baggage through life. He calls us to the still waters, but to walk that path has to be like walking the path of Joseph. The willingness to move forward with grace and mercy. I think part of the reason we struggle with this is that we just don't really understand what grace looks like, what forgiveness really means. I want us just with the rest of our time to look at this story from Genesis 45 and to let this picture of forgiveness through the story of Joseph help us. To help us see what forgiveness really is, 
and what it looks like and how all of us, no matter where we are, if we have something right here tonight or if Lord willing in our time under the sun, what's left of our time here, if we face these moments to allow this powerful picture to give us some practical ways forward to walk like Joseph walked, which is walking like how Jesus walked. Here's number one. Forgiveness is a releasing of the debt. That's what forgiveness is defined as. Forgiveness is a releasing of the debt. Jesus described it as such in Matthew 6. He described it that way in Matthew 18. And we see it visually described here in Genesis 45. I mean, those first two verses, you see in Joseph someone who whatever was bottled up inside bursts forth from him like a dam, like water behind the wall, because whatever he had burst out and all of Egypt could hear the grace and mercy through the tears and weeping of Joseph. Forgiveness is releasing the debt. Whatever was owed to me because of what someone has said or done, whatever damage they have enacted, I am letting it go. I'm releasing what they owe and I'm moving forward. Brad, I want you to appreciate something for a moment. There may not be a greater demonstration of faith that you and I would ever do than to forgive another. By forgiving, we are trusting that God is a better justice maker than you and I are. God's better at that than we are. By forgiving another, we are releasing the right to get even, allowing God to handle all matters of fairness and rightness perfectly. By forgiving another, we're taking those scales and placing them in God's hand, the scales that have to balance perfectly justice and mercy. By forgiving another, we are acknowledging to that person, to ourselves, and to our God, I know where I stand but I know where he sits. You see, in Genesis chapter 50, will you go outside of 45 for a moment, keep your marker here and go to Genesis 50. But a few years later, after Jacob, his father, has died, the older brothers are afraid that Joseph now is going to enact revenge. He's going to take out his anger of the loss of his father on them. But in Genesis chapter 50, it says in verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. You hear the pleading, please don't be mean to us. And verse 19, but Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil to get me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you see that in verse 19? He knew who he was and his position because he remembered who God was and God's position. This is a verse we need to remember, brethren. It's not our place to get even. It's not our place to settle the score. It's not our place to enact judgment or perfect justice under the sun. It's not our place to teach a lesson. Well, what is our place? Verse 21. Kindness, compassion, and mercy. All else, all those matters of what is fair and right and just, that's in God's place. That's in God's hands. We are not the king in this story. We are the servant who owes the king a great debt. The king will matter and handle with what is right and fair. We are the ones who respond with grace. But that's not fair. You're telling me if someone has hurt me and wounded me, I'm supposed to let it go? But they hurt me. I, I didn't do anything. They hurt me. What if they never change? What if they never repent? 
What if they never learn about what they did? That's not fair. Grace doesn't operate under the system of fairness. Grace operates under the system of mercy. There's not one of us, when we stand before the throne of God, will demand of God, I want what's fair. We will be begging for mercy. The same mercy our God expects us to give to one another. Genesis 50 and verse 19 defines forgiveness in five words. Let go and let God. Let go and let God. Let go of that pain. Let go of that hurt. Let go of that right you have claimed to make this fair and let God be God. Let God be just and let God handle this in his time. And I'll tell you, when we sincerely and genuinely let go, release the debt of what has happened to us in our life, we are setting a prisoner free. It's not the other person because of what they've done. We are setting ourselves free. Don't you see that in Genesis 45, verses 1 and 2? Joseph can no longer contain it. And what comes out is freedom. It bursts forth, no longer am I holding on to what you have done. No longer am I going to allow the pain and the bitterness of a path that you caused in my life. I'm letting it go. And I'm leaving this to God. And so in one sense, forgiveness is releasing of the debt. Forgiveness is also paying of a price. It pays a price. Back in Genesis 45, realize all that it took for Joseph to forgive his brothers. Genesis 45 and verse 3, to forgive his brothers, he had to reveal his identity. He said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? He couldn't be this veiled prince in Egypt. He had to reveal his, his identity, who he was. And verse 4, to forgive his brothers, he had to allow them into his life to draw them near. Joseph said, please come closer to me. They could remain in Canaan and he in Egypt. You have your life and I have mine. If we're going to have any step towards grace, we're going to have to meet in the middle. You're going to have to come near to me. We're going to have to come together. And in verse 5, in order for Joseph to forgive his brothers, he had to process and unpack and go through what happened in the past. Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me. God sent me here before you to preserve life. He could look backwards and forwards with clarity. Forgiveness is costly. There are some things that happen when we forgive another. There are some things taken from us, caused to us, that will never be the same again, that we will never get back again. Sleepless nights that we will never return to again. Stress that causes its harm on its body that may never be healed. Scars emotionally or mentally, even physically, that may be with us the rest of our life that will never go away. For some of us, it may be humbling our pride in order to accept you as a brother or a sister again. In my home in Dallas, back in Tennessee, in our garage and in our attic, we have several U-Haul boxes from when we moved there six years ago. And I have no idea what's inside those boxes. <laughs> Do any of you have some of those? We're not planning on moving again. You know, to go through that, though, you have to open the box and you have to look at what's inside and then there has to be a place for everything. And sometimes it's just a lot easier to leave it in the box and to leave it on the shelf. I know I need to go through it and to go through those things, but that's just kind of where it is sometimes. It's just there and it's easier to let it take up storage than to go through it. 
For a lot of us, that's how we could kind of live life. Something happened a long time ago. They said something that really cut deep. They did something that was just unbelievably, it caused such trauma in my life. And there it is. And that moment is there. And instead of processing it and understanding it and coming to grips with it, we pack it up and we put it on the shelf of our heart. And there it sits. But unlike the contents of the stuff in my garage and attic, those things which sit on our heart don't stay put. They grow. That bitterness gets deep, and it turns into a real resentment. In fact, it can turn, as it has in the lives of some of God's people, into a genuine hate towards other people in their lives. And the contents spill out into the way that they think, and the words that they say, and the way that they behave. Listen to what Paul said when he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, notice, be put away from you. There's a place for those. There's a place that bitterness and anger and all of its demonstration through words belong, and it's not our heart. It doesn't belong there. We have to put it in its place. And sometimes what that means for you and I is we have to open up what happened to process what has been said and what has been done, to come to grips in terms with things that were bad that happened to us and to move forward, to put these negative hurting attitudes where they belong. It doesn't belong in our heart. And far too many of us have given it too much shelf space in our lives. Put it where it belongs. Well, that seems really easy, really easy to say. How do you process it? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. You respond to harm and grace and bitterness and anger with kindness and compassion and grace. I mean, you can say that tonight, standing up there, but you don't know what they did to me. I don't want to be kind because they were rude. I don't want to be tender-hearted because they did something to me I will never get past. You know where the real power in this passage is? But Paul's saying there's, there's something that will destroy and poison your mind and your life if you don't move past this. And so instead of bitterness and hate and anger, you need to have a lot of grace and compassion and forgiveness. You know where the passage is? The real power? Just as God and Christ has forgiven you. You take those things. You take that issue. You take that moment. You take that anger. You take that pain. And you bring that to the cross of Calvary. You bring it to the cross. And I will tell you, I will be honest with you, there are times and things that have happened that I have needed to bring these pains, and I've needed to kneel at that cross with what has happened and to see that blood-stained cross and to ask for the power and the patience and the grace of God to move forward and to leave it there. And the only way that I could ever forgive someone who has done something like that is because I know he has done far more. There is never a price you and I will pay to forgive one another that will cost what Jesus gave for you and I. How can I move forward? 
How can I get this bitterness out of my life? You bring it to the cross and you leave it there. You bring that hurt and you bring that pain to Jesus and you walk away with tenderness and patience and understanding and a heart filled with love because that's exactly what he gave to us. It costs. Forgiveness is very costly. When you trace it through the Bible theme, there's not a time forgiveness is given and there's not a sacrifice made. But if we're going to walk this walk and walk like Jesus, we have to be a people who are willing to pay that price. And the last thing we could say about forgiveness is that forgiveness reaffirms love. Back in our context in Genesis 45, after he unveils who it is that he is in Genesis 45, it says in verse 9, he says, Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. And that would be a lot if Joseph said those things. I want you to move in, It's what he's saying. Go get your family, go get dad, it's going to get bad. You can move in where I am. But notice verse 14. Then he fell on his brother's Benjamin neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And that makes sense. They're real brothers, full brothers. The same mother, the same father. And Benjamin wasn't involved in that mess. Benjamin had nothing to do with the harm that was caused to Joseph. And we understand that. But in verse 15, he kisses all his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. He left no room for question in the hearts of his brothers what he really felt towards them. Through what he said and how he acted, he showed love. After all these years and all has been done, I have always and I still love you. It's not enough just to release the debt. You go your way, I'm going to go mine. Genuine forgiveness takes a step closer with love. It's not always easy. That love that Paul described describes a part of this in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5 in the end where he says it keeps no record of wrongs. One author said in translating that, it says it stores up no memory of wrongs committed against itself. Right, there's a story of a, a man who was talking with a friend about issues he had with his wife. And they're going back and forth. And the friend said, well, have you talked to your wife about this? And he said, I can't. Every time I talk with my wife, she gets historical. He means, don't you mean hysterical? He goes, no, historical. She remembers everything I've done since we've been married. It's the thing that's a lot of us. And we do that, don't we? Oh, we, we have that visual memory where we could hit rewind. And we remember. We nurse those wounds. We pick those scabs. And sometimes we hang on to things much longer than we should. One of my favorite cartoons that comes out this time of year. It started in October and it will run to the end of the year because of the holiday specials is the Peanuts cartoons. I love them. And my favorite scene, you know it well, is when Charlie, Ball, uh, Charlie Brown is geared up to kick that football and he gets ready. And then every time he runs, Lucy pulls it up and Charlie Brown goes up and then he comes down and the football is not kicked. I don't know if he ever kicked the football every time he tried. Well, there is a commentary that someone wrote about this scene relating to forgiveness and that 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. And here's what he said. He says, everybody in the world knows that Lucy is going to move the football away at the last second except one person, Charlie Brown. 
He forgives Lucy every time, continues to believe in her, and to place himself in a position to be hurt. I thought that was a pretty well description, isn't it? That here's Charlie Brown, and despite every reason he has for not allowing Lucy to hold that ball, he always tends to allow her another chance and another opportunity. Now, there's a little bit we need to do to clarify this about keeping no record of wrongs and what this does not mean. Keeping no records of wrongs does not minimize the seriousness of sin. We're not whitewashing sin and saying, well, it doesn't really matter. Everyone makes mistakes. It's no big deal. Jesus said, if we really love one another and we love our brother, if your brother sins, or some translations will say sins against you, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. And so it's not just casting sin under the rug and saying, oh, it doesn't matter. If we love one another, we're going to point out sin and help one another be right with God. So it doesn't minimize the seriousness of sin, nor is it resuming a relationship without changes. Forgiveness happens instantly. Trust is built over time. Trust is built with consistency, consistent language, consistent behavior, consistent choices. Do you remember when David was on the run from King Saul and there was that moment when David showed mercy to King Saul and his response was to respond with somewhat repentance. Saul says to David, blessed are you, my son David, you will do many things and succeed in them. That sounds like a different King Saul. Notice, so David went his way and Saul returned to his palace. Saul went one way, David went the other way. Well, why didn't David go back to the palace? Well, he could forgive Saul for what he had done, but he wasn't ready to spend the night in the castle with him. Even Joseph didn't forgive his brothers in Genesis 42. There were some tests. There were some opportunities to provide some trust and to see what they had learned along the way. We can forgive people and offer them grace, but that doesn't mean that things go back to normal the next day. Trust takes time. Grace means I'm going to provide the opportunity for trust to be built, for consistency to be shown. But trust takes some time for people to regain in their life. And I would also say that keeping no record of wrongs isn't forgetting, at least in the way that you and I talk about this. We talk about forgive and forget as if it's a blotting out of the memory, but that's not how we were made. There are things that we remember and it's stored on our minds like a hard drive and it will be there till the day that we go on to meet the Lord. It is always there. So it's not a blotting out of the memory. It is a conscious act of the will not to think of it when I see you and when I engage with you. Clara Barton, the founder of the Red Cross, was once at a gala. And she had a friend that was there and this group was talking. And it was brought up in this group something really sharp that was said to Clara at one time. And she acted like she had no idea what they were talking about. And her friend said, well, Clara, you remember what that person said to you and how much it hurt you? And she said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting about that. I love that, don't you? It's not a blotting out of the memory. It is a conscious act of the will. I may always know what you've done, but I'm not going to treat you that way. I'm not going to remind you of the ways that you have fallen. To you and I, it's going to be as if it never existed. It's a conscious act of the will not to allow it to be between us. Do you know what it really looks like to reaffirm your love to someone who has fallen? It looks a lot like this. However you want people to treat you, so treat them. I, I wonder how far you and I would walk and travel this path of grace if we let this lead us. I, I, I would really hope that if something happened and I stumbled and I fell and I got myself in a mess, 
that my brethren wouldn't just abandon me and turn their back on me. I, I would hope that if I failed so miserably, that they would be right by my side to weep with me and mourn with me and offer me hope and grace. And that if time were necessary for me to rebuild trust, I, I would hope that they would give me all the time that was necessary and opportunities to show, to show and prove my trustworthiness. I would hope that they would be brothers and sisters and show me love along the way to help me regain that trust one day. But if that's what I really want, then I had better be giving that to every brother and sister who falls along the way. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. It sounds really good in a place like this tonight. But do you know this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness is one of the most strangest things to the world? Four years ago, my hometown in Dallas, one of our brothers in Christ, a young man, was murdered in his apartment complex. Town rallied around him. At the trial, all of the courts and the witnesses were unanimous, and the sentence was given as the world watched in anticipation of what would take place. But I will tell you what followed is something many of us will never forget. Because the brother of the man that was murdered asked the judge if he could come and to hug on the neck of the woman who took his brother's life. This is what he said. I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to hope that you rot and die. I personally want the best for you. I know that if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. What just happened? Brethren, grace happened. That's grace. That, brethren, is a marvelous, beautiful picture of God's amazing grace. As one author said, he who fails to forgive others burns the bridge over which he must walk himself. Forgive us our transgressions as we have forgiven others. Can you imagine how different this world would be if instead of, I will never forgive them, I will never move past this, what we heard more was, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. I'm not sure where we sit tonight and where we are here this Monday, this Monday evening. It could very well be that there are some here tonight who need to seek forgiveness first and foremost from God. A ceasefire between one another begins with a ceasefire between us and God. And we must be at peace with Him. And if you come this evening in this place and you're not in right relationship with God tonight, that is the highest priority to leave here doing so. That may mean tonight turning from sin 
confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior and putting him on in baptism, and we would love, we would love to help and assist you with that. It could very well be, though, tonight we have a lot who are here, maybe some, who have a lot of baggage over things that have happened in the past. We've held on to it for a long time. We've allowed that bitterness and anger to consume us. And it's time to bring it to the cross. We need to bring it to Jesus. Maybe while we're, we're saying and singing this very prayer, we're going to be singing a prayer here in just a moment. I need to bring it to him. Help me, Lord. Help get this out of my life. Help set me free. Help me to love and to forgive and to be like you and to move forward from this right here, right now. If you want some help, we'll pray it with you. We will. We'll unpack that box and help you tonight to move forward in peace. But if you're ready tonight to take a step and to leave here free, this is your chance to do so, and we'd love to help you. If we can help you in any way, let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing.